Hello everyone and welcome to this very special episode of Unsound on Sound, the podcast where we are unsound on the subject of sound. Uh, this may be episode five. This might just be a sort of parenthetical episode that doesn't fit into the context. It's a special bonus episode. Let me tell you what's going on here. I have a girlfriend named Annie Castillo, and she's very smart and musical, so I wanted to have her on the podcast. She's, um, we were in a guitar-piano duo together called Medium Core. She she is like a part-time musicologist who's done study into the the world of the the punk scene, the 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 the, the girl punk scene, and she also has diabetes. But that's not important, or rather, it is because she wanted to do an episode about disability, a work about a disabled person and, and and how that relates to composition and new music. Well, she said, you know, actually... Why don't we do it on you? Because you only have half of one kidney and you wrote a piece called Bloodwork where your blood work since birth signifying your kidney health is used to create... A viola line that slowly glissandos up and down based on those numbers in the context of a string quartet. In 2018, it's performed by the Rolston String Quartet as part of Sandstream's Emerging Composer Workshop. Yes, I emerge formed in a shape that I'm in. Name me how that, that's true. But what else is true? I said to her, I said, I can't do that. I can't do a piece about myself. People will think I'm egotistical. It's not like I am doing a podcast. The most egotistical of mediums. But she said, what about this? What if I do the interview and I turn the tables slowly on you? I make you the guest. You have to be the guest. And I said... Yeah, okay, whatever. But it's going to be a special bonus episode. Anyway, so that's what you're going to hear. I think it's a good interview. Uh, I'm away from my big old computer that lets me make all the special sounds. So this episode's going to be a little lighter on the sound effects. I bet some of you think that's great. I bet some of you are so happy to hear that. Well, whoop-de-dah. But guess what? Before we get to the interview, we're going to hear something else. We're going to hear some of my music. <laughs> We're going to hear the blood work. We're going to hear a few minutes of that near the end of the piece. Keep your ears open for the slowly glissandoing part at the end. You get That's going to come up in the conversation later. But really, if you want to go see it and get a real feel for this piece, which is mine. It's mine. It's my piece. You should go to the link in the description and click on that and watch the video 
Uh, it's really nice. There's a lot of blue lighting. Everything looks really cool. And you get to see all the weird extended techniques. You'll like it. Anyways, without further ado, here's my composition, Bloodwork, being performed by the Rolston String Quartet. Okay, so now we're in the interview. Okay, so James, please come join us. Yes, I'm here. So, James, for everybody who didn't abide to my very strict instructions of going online and clicking the link to watch the wonderful video, which is also kind of blue, of your bloodwork piece, why don't you tell me a little bit about this piece? The lighting, the lighting in the video is good. <laughs> the lighting in the video is good. It's kind of blue, it's kind of purple, kind of your aura. I remember when I went into that concert hall, I was like, whoa, look at this lighting! Were you on stage? Well, yeah, I had a pre-concert talk. So, is that what you thought when you walked on stage or when you walked into the concert? No, I couldn't tell when I was on stage. <laughs> I was just like, why are these lights all in my face? Yeah. I, but when I came into the audience and became the audience. I said, look at this lighting. I remember when I walked into that concert hall, I was late. But I also 
didn't think about delaying because what I thought was, whoa, look at all of James's fans. It was like eighty <laughs> percent your fans. It's true. That one was wild. I now I feel like saying that in this podcast context, but it was true. It just so happened, you know, you always message your friends like, come out to my shows. I guess a lot of people just happened to be free that night. It's true. A lot of my comedian buddies came, and they were so, so high, high. So and high. they didn't know what was going on. They, yeah. they, of course, like most people, didn't understand anything about contemporary music, so they were just freaking out. This one composer, I think her name was Yiguo. She had this piece where all the performers had to like go into the different corners of the room. Oh yeah! And my, and my comedian friends who were high, <laughs> so they were just like looking around, <laughs> so delighted. Like, where where's the sounds coming from? Yeah, that was a great where's piece. It coming from? Tell me about this piece, Bloodwork. Okay, so the piece is called Bloodwork, and it's based in some way on my blood work. I only have half of one kidney. Uh, now I know what you're thinking, does that mean there's like a whole other kidney? No! 25% kidney function. Over on one side there's no kidney. On the other side there's half of one kidney, or as I like to call it, my kid. Because you take kidney, you cut it in half, you get kidney. But that's not the important part. The important part is that the doctors have been looking at my kidneys ever since a very young age. And what I thought was sort of fun about kidney data, <laughs> well, any kind of medical data, is that it gives you these numbers that are very specific and they say something very real about you, right? Like, it's very personal and it's very precise. But it's also very meaningless, right? If I told you my creatinine's 232 or whatever, people would be like, okay, right? So. I thought this was an interesting sort of paradox and in, in sort of a good metaphor for the whole idea of like writing music about yourself or about your experiences where we, we put out information um, and supposedly that just translated into the music somewhere, but ultimately, you know, who's, who's really learning anything? But so you don't think it's important for the audience to know that this is the measure of your creatinine levels and that the viola is like your creatinine and the other players are other points in your blood work? The other players are not other points in my blood work. I think, you know, it's fun. People would be, they think the rest of the piece is just free, free association, basically. Um, no, it's important that they know that, but the point is, is that it doesn't really tell them anything, right? Like, what do you know? What, what, what does my blood work really tell you, ultimately? What is, and, and just like this whole idea where, like, you, as, a, as a disabled person, one may feel some uh, effort or obligation to put one di one's disability into one's art, but... Um, I can't really tell you anything about it through the artistic medium that couldn't be better served by just like asking me questions and then uh, believing me when I say things about my own experience, you know what I mean? Why do I have to make it into a string quartet? And yet, I do, because 
That's how it works when you're a composer, weirdly enough. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, I mean, I understand why you think that, like, you have to do this because you're disabled, but also, like, isn't it important in terms of, especially in the world of, like, classical music, it's so inaccessible. Like, I would, when I was trying to find stuff for this podcast to talk about, as you know, I wanted to talk about, like, a disabled composer because I'm also disabled. It's true. But it was so, like, One, okay, here's a question for the audience when we're listening right now. One of us has diabetes. <laughs> and it's not... It's not it, me. Yeah, that's true, it's me. But it was so hard to find stuff. Do you like, want to make any sort of... You know, because some people out there might be going like, oh, she must be old. She must have type 2 diabetes. She must be one of those old people who get diabetes because of their diet. So I have type 1 diabetes. <laughs> Thank you, James. Um, which is an autoimmune disorder where your body, I guess much like your body, where it was just like, I don't want to help you out anymore. An autoimmune disorder, so you're not allowed to touch cars? <laughs> Wouldn't that mean that I am allowed to touch cars because cars can't hurt me? What if it meant that, like, cars could not transport you anywhere? What if it meant that it wouldn't matter if I got in a car crash because I was automatically immune? You were autoimmune. <laughs> but it's a disorder, so it, <laughs> oh, people yeah. are like, why isn't she dead? They're disappointed. No, it's just a disorder, like, your body is in the wrong alignment. So, like, it's in the wrong alignment, but it gives me immunity to cars. That's cool. So... Not to perpetuate this information about diabetes is what it is. But anyway, it's not my fault. So, uh, I was trying to find... So you just want to make sure nobody thinks that diabetes people are immune to <laughs> car yes. accidents. Don't walk around throwing your diabetic friends in front of cars. They will die. Yeah. But I was trying to find other disabled composers, and it's, like, basically impossible. Like, you just can't. Like, unless somebody has, like, specifically like in blood work been like this is about my disability or even then like if I was trying to find your thing online and I didn't know you personally like it would be so hard and like that's pretty messed up like I think a really important part of all this like accessibility stuff when you're like applying to a grant or a school or whatever and they're saying that they want people from other backgrounds it's like that's not the case and I don't know I feel like it's important for the audience and the music and like the music scene for you to write stuff like this. Did I don't know, I guess, Yeah. Do you want to explain that for our audience? So it's, uh, cripping <laughs> is just like making things more disability core. So instead of, I guess you could think of it in the same way as like queering, like instead of just having things that are like straight men, you start adding things that are like uh, queer people. And so in the same ways that you're doing that, then you would just add things that are more disabled people or uh, people who aren't able-bodied. That's it. It's just... it's. But we're allowed to say it and they're not allowed to say it. No, they're allowed to they're say allowed it. They're allowed to say it? So yeah, somebody comes would... up to me and says, wow, you're really crippling up this room. That's okay? I guess that... Well, I guess you made it sound bad. But, like, if somebody said, <laughs> like, that you were involved in the curbing of the arts, that would be fine. But if somebody came up to you and That's like, like a good song. You are involved in the curbing of the arts. <laughs> I just feel it's important. I understand why you feel like there's this huge responsibility on you because you're a disabled person and like you have to talk about that. But I don't know. It's I guess... that you shouldn't. 
to me there's something it's just like just the idea that one can't communicate an idea through music is for me an impossibility and I think this piece somewhat points to that in a way I don't know it's hard to say in another way I just think the piece I'm presenting you with these facts you know, usually my program notes or my concept for a piece are, are not so kind of clearly delineated. Like the viola line is just a graph of my blood work since birth. And if you would notice on the score, I put the years, yeah, which is also like a red herring because once again, it's like, so what does this mean that we're in 1996 right now? I think it was great when I was looking at the score. I was like, I think you wrote a uh, you wrote a performance note like. Uh, do this in bar 1990 and I was like wow what an idiot he wrote in this piece and then I opened it and I was like oh I understand because that's when he was born so, so it's sort of funny again because once again it's like these years suggest that there must be some specific meaning and there is uh, communicated by the blood work the blood work is the only thing that is specific but since I'm translating this into a pitch system and everybody knows the pitch systems aren't real and that nobody actually derives information from pitch systems, then it's kind of meaningless. Though, I mean, there's the simple thing, like, I, I do think I explain that as the pitch gets higher, my creatinine gets higher and that's bad. And of course, as I get older, my kidney deteriorates, so it sort of has like a nice upward motion throughout the piece, which I just think is is nice. Just the uh, you know, it's kind of a sort of upward nice motion. Is, is getting worse. It's nice that I'm getting worse. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I just feel like if somebody who wasn't from the classical contemporary music niche would come in and like read this program out and listen to this, they would be more. Um, curious about it as if as opposed to like if they just walked into like some sort of this is just music for music type of concert because they want to know like the backstory or something that's like the first question that people ask they're always like what, what inspiration did you get from this but for yeah. this you don't need that I like usually I hate program notes but I feel like in this kind of situation it's super important yeah well the uh, the inspiration is, I mean, the question is, why did I make a string quartet? Yeah, why did you make a string quartet? I don't know. And what's up with the extended techniques? Is that related to the disability? Are you trying to make the instruments disabled? Am I trying to disable, am I trying to quit the string quartet? <laughs> yeah. That's an interesting thought. Well, I have had, I think, like, the whole extended technique thing, this whole idea of playing instruments in ways that were not intended is an interesting idea because, especially how it plays into ideas of accessibility and inaccessibility, right? Because in one way, writing pieces that have a lot of extended technique on it seems like a sort of inaccessibility, right? Like, it seems like you're asking a string quartet to do something they're not used to doing, not trained to do, not comfortable doing, whatever they... And even, I think it's interesting, it often brings up, like, socioeconomic issues. People will be like, 
No, no, my violin costs a million dollars. I can't rub it against my belly. Right. So I was. But on the other hand, can I keep going? Am I allowed, or I mean, am I being a?
also extended techniques in it, but to a less amount. Um, they loved it. They were like, what is this? And they're not musicians. They were like, what is this? Why is he doing that? But they weren't saying it in a way that was like bad or like critical. What is this? They were just so interested in it. And one of them went on like a 10 minute spiel about the rubbing of the cello. <laughs> and it was very analytical. And like, you could have like written a paper about the way that she was describing how Amal was rubbing the cello. Which one of your friends is this? Well, I don't want to say uh, their name in case they don't want to be mentioned. You really but... think they're going to be like, how dare you mention my first name on a podcast and my <laughs> opinions on cello? All I will say is they have red hair. And, um, yes. but like the way that she was describing it was just, I don't know, I, I guess it had been a long time for me since I heard somebody who I guess, A, since I've seen, like, a quote-unquote normie at a classical music concert uh, and, like, actually be that engaged with something. Oh, and then also, when we were at the bar after with uh, one of your comedian friend's girlfriends who also happens to have red hair, I wonder if this is a red hair trait, she also was talking about the extended techniques for, like, a really long time, like, 30 minutes. So you're saying ultimately it comes down to red hair? Love extended techniques. No, but she was also doing it, and she wasn't even talking to me about it. She was just talking to... Her boyfriend about I know it's not like right to say in this political <laughs> climate anymore, but people with red hair love extended techniques. I just think it speaks a lot to the accessibility of a piece when you can like make other people listen to it, but in a way where, like you were saying, the performers are uh, having to like learn this new thing, which makes it inaccessible for them, but it makes it like super accessible for the audience. I think that's like a really cool dichotomy that's like created. That's one hell of a dichotomy. It is, for sure. So in your bio, you write, this is the first line of your bio. James wants to make funny things serious, and serious things funny. How do you think this piece, which is like such a personal thing, which is bad, <laughs> happening to your body, falls into this kind of statement about your art? Well, I don't know. Not everything has to fall into my tagline. But let's, let's take it apart a little bit. I feel, so I did stand-up comedy for many years, and I still do, um, and I did it at a level that is more professional than I think people would think if I'm like, I did stand-up comedy. Oh. It's still not quite professional enough for me to be like, I really did it. So it's kind of one of those awkward middle areas that I always feel hard talking about. Like, I was like on, I was like on the scene. Like, I was a minor figure in Canadian comedy for a while. <laughs> I love that. Well, right? So, and that's hard for me to try to explain to people. And, you know, what is it, you know, what's important to anyone, really, except for myself, to just remember and uh, enjoy. But now I'm getting off topic. I don't think so. I don't know. I guess I'm wondering, because when I was looking at your other music, um, I feel like there's kind of, like, little... Like the genres in between, like or periods, I guess is what you would call them. Periods. James Lowry's periods, and I have one of those like once a month. <laughs> I guess so, but like I can definitely like pinpoint a time where you were the comedic art form was very much like involved in your music, and I guess like I had a little bit more trouble with this one, like trying to figure out where that was. I suppose this would go in with more of like a thirty-four oh two plasta cells kind of vibe. Which is another extended uh, technique string quartet. But that, that one's out. a lot less spoopy. <laughs> so, 
So you think this one's spooky? I think this one's a little spooky. Because when I was listening to it, I also thought it was kind of spooky. But I don't know if I thought that it was spooky because I was in like the hospital mindset of blood work and thinking that like if I was sitting in a uh, 60s style hospital where all of the doctors hated me and all of the nurses were just shooting me with random drugs and they didn't know what they did to me, this would like maybe be playing in my head. <laughs> yeah, well, I... I think... So the funny thing... Yeah, is, what's the funny thing? The funny thing is always like, there is something I've learned about joke structure, right? And to me, the joke structure in this is saying that uh, the piece is based on uh, my blood work and that the viola is just a chart of the blood work. And also there's sort of something funny in there that like the viola stops playing because I could not yeah. access the blood work. I was going to ask you about that. What time. happened? Did you just, I just become find healed? It. I, could, no. <laughs> I had become healed. If I had become healed, I could have put the note down. No, I just, I couldn't get the blood work. Right. So I was just left it out. I could have made it up, but I thought it was sort of interesting to drop it out. It becomes a sort of what would you call it, an auto-ethnographic work, <laughs> in that sense? Yeah. I mean, this is clearly an auto-ethnographic work. I don't know how much, uh, I, maybe I would call it auto no, yeah, it would be. But, uh, how do you feel about having something so personal that's, like, very, uh, quantitative turned into this, like, super unquantifiable thing, which is music? Well, that's what I would say. That's like, it's a paradox. You know, it's this, uh, it's this unbridgeable gap. And the fact that, you know, trying to make a career for oneself is like, one finds sometimes that one's supposed to talk about how one's identity affects the music. And the fact is, is that it affects me and I'm the one making the music, but does it affect the music directly? I don't really think so. I, I, I don't really think it does, other than, of course, the conditions in which I have grown and lived affect the kind of music which I would have a tendency to write, right? Yeah, so you're more thinking of it as, like, this just happens to be a part of my life, so it just happens to be the thing that I'm going to write about. Like, I don't it's, like, normal for you to go and do blood work. 12 million times a year, whereas when I talk to uh, my boss at work, he might be like, I haven't seen a doctor in 12 years. <laughs> Congratulations, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, it is normal, but I guess I don't have, a, I really don't have all the answers here, but I just, that this is the pieces sort of uh, dancing around some of these issues and uh, doesn't doesn't really have the answers. So when I was listening to this piece, I was thinking about how the performers uh, have like so much, I don't know if I would say more power, but definitely with all the extended techniques and like the ambiance of it and stuff. Yeah, they have like more power, I think, than like they normally would with a piece of uh, absolute music or like classical music that's like strictly notated. Do you think that it's up to them to kind of like bring out whatever they want or are you wanting to keep them like as strict as possible to your vision? What do you mean when you say power? 
Well, because when you're playing something like, uh, I don't know, like a Louis Andreessen, like, piece or like a Philip Glass piece. Louis Andreessen. Yeah. You know how he has that big piece for like 12 players? What's it called? Like 12 players of the revolution or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, it's a famous piece. But what's your deal anyways? Why do you know about Louis Andreessen? Because I went to a concert. What's your character? My character is Annie. No, I know. I don't know, should the audience, I guess I'm not supposed to no. grill the interviewer. So I just mean like when you're, when you're playing a piece that's like more strictly notated. Okay, so I guess we could say something like Beethoven, the audience will know what that means. Like if No, I know that I'm not worried about the audience other than just like they might go like, who's this Annie character? What's her background? But I guess that's just my like interviewer vibe kicking in. Well, if you want me to say more about my background, I can do that. Do you want to say more about your background? I mean, that's your podcast, so it's up to you. But it's your podcast now. So, hi. If you're wondering, who the hell gave Annie the right? You don't have the right. What gives you the right? What gives you... Excuse me, sir. This is my intro. Thank you. I was just hyping you up. Oh, okay, yeah, you can hype me. Okay, you say what gives you the right. What gives you the right? Yeah, what gives you the right? I'm Annie. I'm yeah. ex musician <laughs> <laughs> and also an ex of James Lowry. It's true, but we got back together, so you don't have to worry about it. Also, an, like an ex musicologist. Oh, well, that was gonna be my next talking point. Thanks for rubbing my feet the wrong way. I rubbed your feet the wrong way. Is there a right <laughs> way for me to rub your That's feet? That's an expression. That's an expression I learned in Prince Edward County, and it's very real. Sounds like a Spanish expression. It's not a real expression. I made it up. But you okay. make expressions up all the time. Um, I'm gonna start that again. Okay. Hello, I'm Annie. If you're wondering, what gives you the right? No, I'm staying quiet this time. I'm not going to step on your toes. Hi, I'm Annie. If you're wondering, what gives you the right? Yeah. (laughs) Just to give you a little background information on me, I suppose I'm somewhat of a retired musician. Um, I am a ex-musicologist who decided to go in a different path in life. But... As a result, I have lots of background knowledge of this world of contemporary classical music that James so nicely inhabits. I nicely inhabit. And I thought it would be fun to turn the podcast around and interview him for a change so that you can learn what gives him the right to create a podcast like this. What? What does give me the right? So James... For the audience at home, just so we're on an equal level, equality is important. What gives you the right? So, I'm a contemporary composer. Nice, love it already. I, I, you know, I was a comedian for many years, still am to some degree. I hosted shows. Uh, I got used to talking into microphones. It's kind of what a podcast is. So I was like, how do we bring that chat vibe? What's chat? Chad. Oh. <laughs> Chad device. You're not a Chad. Oh. I mean, you can be a Chad if you want, but I just don't. No, I don't need Chad. to be a Chad. Cool. What's the opposite of a Chad? Uh, a Stacy. A shy boy. A shy guy. No, not a shy guy. Wait, like for Mario? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you can be a shy guy. I'm not a shy guy. Wait, <laughs> so what gives you the right? 
what gives me the right contemporary <laughs> music, comedy, experience speaking into microphone. And, you know, when I was in high school, I was in a band called Mary Jane and the Wonderfuls. Great band. And I was pretty much the only member in that band. <laughs> pretty much. Sometimes that changed, but usually just me. And the music was mostly based around weird sounds. And I always thought that why don't podcasts have more weird sounds than them? And I don't know, like, how this... It's hard... How do you get a podcast out to people? I don't know who this thing is reaching, really. And, but, and I also don't know if people are like, I love those weird sounds. I love those weird sounds. Because they're quite time-consuming. They really... They use up a lot more time than the, than the interviews. Yeah, I mean, I was really bummed when I heard that this interview was going to be sound-free. I was very excited to have my voice manipulated and have its little nicks and knacks picked out for, for your pleasure. <laughs> but it's, um, Look, I'd love to do it, and I'll do a few. I don't even download these apps. They don't work, but, you know, I tried. But I don't have my full power computer with me. I just have my old 10-year-old yeah, laptop, so... Sorry. I understand. I this episode is uh, I was like a bonus episode. It's like you know, un- it's already it's unplugged. That's what you should call it. You should call it unsound, sound, unsound, unplugged. Sound. unplugged. What if it was like unplugged? <laughs> like, cause I say um too much. No, you're perfect. It's true. I don't think I say um very much, but yeah, unplugged is good. Um, what if it was umbplugged? What if it could be at the end of it? <laughs> yeah, that would be good. Thanks. Yeah, I thought of it. So. I was looking through your works. Nice. And I noticed that you're a little bit of like a chamber music specialist. Uh, You've written a lot of chamber music. Uh, can you tell me, in the context of this piece, how do you think it would be different if you had written it for a large symphonic orchestra? What would you do differently? Well, I think, honestly, I would do it much the same. I would have really? the viola, single viola line playing the blood work, and then I'd have all the other instruments sort of doing like, other sounds. At the same time, all the violins would be doing the same violin sound? I just don't know. What are you trying to get at with this question? Like, if the oh, piece there's was no, a, there's, is no, a, there's no ulterior motive. Just if the piece was for a different ensemble, it would be different. <laughs> I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> oh, James. Oh, James. It's hard to be in the hot seat, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> for you. For me? Yeah. So you're saying there's some people who love to be in the hot seat? Yeah, like... Um, Christo's hot seats? <laughs> I was going to say, like, Hades. Hades. The god of the underworld. Because he's always hot. He Man's not hot. No, he Man's is hot. He okay. even has blue hair because he's so hot all the time. Which blue is the purest of the heats. I saw that French art house cinema movie. <laughs> what? Blue is the purest of the heats. I've never heard of that. Is that real? Yeah, it's a sequel to Blue is the Warmest Color. <laughs> That's funny. So it's not real. It's not real. Okay, cool. Got it. Because as you know, I'm a very gullible person and I wouldn't want to wander around the internet trying to find blue is the warmest heat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so this is what we're talking about. Accessibility. Our host here has to go 
uh, deal with her diabetes. So we're going to take a pause, and then we're going to come back for the the, uh, the conclusion of the interview. Conclusion. But don't worry, I'm not going to be dying. You are currently listening to "It's Gonna Be Me," an NSYNC remix by James Lowry, performed by Medium Core guitar and piano duo featuring James Lowry and Annie Castillo. disabled friends who came to the show. Really? Yeah. Oh, right. Cool. And they seemed to like it. I mean, they were saying, my sister has a heart condition. She only has three quarters of a heart, which is ironically more serious than only having half of one kidney. Not that we're in a competition, but let's just say my whole family has something wrong with them. What about your mom? 
No, my mom's perfect. She's perfect. But my father has epilepsy, which yeah. is sort of like missing some of your brain. So all of you are missing something. Yeah. So romantic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your mom keeps it all together, though. She keeps Shout it all together. Shout out to Linda one. So the positive feedback was positive. Yeah, yeah. My sister was like, you know, it reminded me of the sound of uh, ambulances. Right, I definitely think that it has like kind of a medical vibe to it. Like even if I didn't know that it was the C and the viola, the note that the viola is playing is your creatinine level, uh, I think I would still kind of feel a little bit like I was in some sort of medical realm. Uh, also, can you tell us what creatinine is? I know Cre it's like very important. Creatinine is basically a protein that um, if your kidneys working correctly, there won't be much of it in your urine. So the more of it is in your urine, the less your kidneys are working. So they, it's used as a proxy for kidney function. Cool. Just wanted to educate the people about that one. Um, Get educated. Read about creatinine. Yeah, I mean, I've read tons about creatinine <laughs> and kidney function and all that fun stuff. Um, What's your favorite part of this uh, of this piece? Ooh, that's an interesting question. I think that I I don't want to like roast my own piece, but I feel probably the first half of it might have a one too many things going on in it. I think the back half of it is pretty fun. What is that? That sounds like that Duke telling Mozart that there's too many notes in his piece. I don't know, you just think about it, right? Especially with something like this that was ham but written. Yeah, he wrote hams. You know, it takes, this is one of those funny things that you have to learn over time. It takes so much time to write this stuff yeah. that you have to remember that it doesn't take that long to play. So even though you might have been slaving away at something forever, you know, you gotta remember that that might only be 30 seconds of music and maybe that needs to still be longer. Um, so I think that might be a problem, but maybe not, maybe it's great, who can say, but I really like the ending, when, the ending was sort yeah. of inspired by, there's this piece by this composer named Joe Kondo, who wrote this thing that was, that the Botsini Quartet played, and Basically, he just wrote a rule where it's just a, it's just a piece written like a regular piece, but he's like every note is slowly glissing down a quarter note during the length of the note. Revision. The piece is called hypsotony, and you actually gliss up a quarter tone for every note, as you can hear now. And I remember at the time being like, what does that effect have to do with the piece? It seems like you could apply that effect to any piece. And the Botzinis and Martin Arnold, who was there as the composer of it, was like, no, the piece is written with that in mind. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it would sound cool no matter what. They're like, no. 
Martin so, said this to you, or the yeah, they both it? said this oh. to me. But this, because uh, I was like, what does the the fact that every note slowly descends with the chord by a quarter tone have to do with the piece? Right. Um, like. You said this to the composer. No, the composer wasn't there. Joe oh. Joe Kondo, I don't think he's still alive, but he's uh, was a very inspirational figure in. He taught a lot of Canadian composers who have gone on to teach me, um, actually. Cool. So nice. he's sort of like a grandpappy composer to me in a weird way. Mm-hmm. But I had that idea to inspire me, because it does sound cool. And I was like, you could do this to anything. But I'm like, descending by a quarter tone, that's too persnickety. So what if we extend by a whole semitone? So the same idea is that every note slowly slides down by a semitone over the length of it. And it has this great effect where it's sort of, we reach this sort of kind of very classical harmonic chorale uh, vibe at the end where all the instruments sort of come together to play something normal that a string quartet might sort of play. But it's like it's melting, right? It's like you took too much I don't know, codeine or something. You just have this vibe that like the music is like melting off of the instruments because they're all slowly sliding down. Yeah, I would agree that it definitely has like a Molly Percocet vibe at the end. Molly Percocet. Like, I, when I was listening to it, I think it, I don't know, there was one other part of the piece, I guess about a quarter of the way through, where all of the instruments all of a sudden start playing like quote unquote normal, like they're just playing like, re- like regularly with their bows for like five seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for me, when I was listening to that, I guess, yeah, again, it was kind of classical because you've got, you had like the recap of like the most normal part of the piece and then doing it again, but it was very like, I don't know, satisfying. You were still like, is that on purpose? Did he need to just be normal there or was it <laughs> by accident? Um, well, I'm, it's been a while since I wrote this piece, but I was sort of, I was spending a lot of time with Locke and Mons, yeah. second string quartet, who's kind of this guy, you could see, I think, in the history of new music, you had like Schoenberg, who was this guy who brought like the atonality thing down, and was like, now we're going to use all these notes in this crazy way. Then you had like Elliot Carter come along and be like, rhythm we're going to blow up rhythm and do it in a much more complicated and rigorous way than it has before. And then, like, the third of these sort of revolutions is this dude called Lockenmann who's like, we're going to take these extended techniques and we're going to really organize them. Sorry, I'm just checking my book. Um... And I was sort of inspired by that. So in this piece, it is sort of a journey away to a certain extended techniques and like towards in the second half of the piece we're on a sort of a movement back towards a more traditional way of playing um yeah i was gonna ask you about that because i remember when uh i guess around the time you were writing this piece you were very into the lock and mon the lock and mon stuff uh i was listening to it and I guess, like, oh, yeah, for sure, like, a lot of the ambience and stuff, but I feel like you have, like, your whole, a whole other language that he doesn't tap into that you did on the piece. Well, Lockenmon's gonna do Lockenmon, but I think, I remember, because I, I was writing an essay on Lockenmon's second string quartet, so I really was trying to figure out what was going on in that piece, 
And I just reached a point one night where I was like, I'm understanding this very... Dead. Not dead. I don't um, know if he's dead. No, he's alive. <laughs> the very niche, yeah. very esoteric music that just seems like it's communicating on a level that people were never meant to communicate on. It's just weird. It's weird to chain your brain to be able to get musical meaning out of his whole thing. And it just brings you into a very weird place because it does have this degree of formality in this way where he is really creating all kinds of meaning by moving between different kinds of extended techniques and sort of stratifying them into like this group of extended techniques all sort of have these similarities and we can play with that level of sameness and difference. And I just thought there was something creepy about it. So I'm kind of trying to tap into that vibe of just like, why are you so obsessed with playing this instrument in all these wrong ways, right? It's because, like, thinking about the medical industry, right? The, I, we Have you had an MRI? Yeah, so yeah. many. Yeah, so you've had an MRI, and there's all these sounds, right? And, uh, and the rhythmic blanging of the machine. You love those. I do love those. Why? <laughs> because it's very interesting to me that in that moment your body is being used for what it is in a way that's almost so different from any other way that we're used to being used right or like when i was having my ears tested or anything yeah, else awesome. uh, where they put it in my ears and played these weird tones to track how my brain was responding but they're to like it. tricking you though they're, they're not like fully tricking you like no, I, I was doing, I'm talking about a different one that was like a neurological test oh, that okay, I had to take for different reasons. But the point is, is that your body is being used for what it is, the physicality of your body. Yourself as a sort of a consciousness, as a spirit, is sort of beside the point, right? So I feel there's this analogous medical vibe to extended techniques, like you're examining the instruments. Yeah, it's like, that's, so, that's so true, that's with, so cool. There's like a parallel between the way that they're playing and the way that the doctors are using your body. Yeah. That's really interesting. So this is why this is so important. Um, okay, so why don't we wrap up in that case? So I think that something that you love to do as a host is do some unsound choices. So would you like to tell me some of your unsound recommendations for, uh, for art? Yeah. So my first recommendation is me and some other folks who may or may not have been on this podcast are taking a microtonality course um, online. Sounds cool. And we're learning about all kinds of different music. Um, and some of it, a lot of it comes through very corny. The funny thing about the whole world of like micro tuning and like different tuning systems is that like a lot of the fans of it end up just making like really corny EDM and stuff like that. 
but some of it can be very exciting. And one of this is an album called Hyperchromatica by Kyle Gann. And it's a two-disc thing. You can find it on Spotify. It's like a two-hour piece for three player pianos that have been tuned. Oh, that's so cool. Microtonally. And I just think the piece is chill vibes. Like, it's got a lot of what I like, <laughs> which is just like sort of like pop progressions and just like hanging out in chord progressions. But it's all wonky because it's... Um, microtonal and there, there's a certain elasticity to it. It's actually sort of sounds like the sort of thing that I would like to write, at least when I'm digging it. It's two hours. It's not all as good as some parts of it, but it's definitely worth a listen. And it definitely opens your ears up. You're like, whoa, check out all these crazy chords. That's super cool. Yeah, microtonal stuff on, on, on piano, that sounds awesome. It may, reminds me of my shitty piano. <laughs> Um, cool. Can I do one more recommendation? Yeah, I was going to ask you for the next one. Excuse uh, me. This is my second recommendation. I believe I get to ask you when you're going to talk. Jeez. I'm just kidding. Are we going to have a beef about this? Yeah, we're going to have a beef, okay? We're going to have a beef live. I don't want to beef with you in front of all of my audience. <laughs> okay. But it's Mad Men. I'm re-watching Mad Men. I haven't watched it since it came out. I just think it's a good show. It's fun. People, I don't think anyone's still watching Mad Men. I feel it's very much fallen out of the cultural yeah, conversation. Yeah, it not its cultural moment anymore, that's true. Uh, so, my unsent choices are both music related. Um, so, the first one is an album that is very dear to me. Uh, and it's a Destroy Boys, mm. is the band. Uh, is what they're called. And my favorite album from them, sorry? I'm just feeling very threatened by the choice of Destroy Boys. I feel like, are you trying to attack me or no, something? No, so actually the reason that I chose this specific album or band is because when we were talking before about girl punk music and all this kind of stuff and you were saying that, you know, you would love to hear a band where everybody's like technically good at their instruments and the singing is good. And I think that this really fits that bill. It's still got like a very kind of like made in your garage type of vibe and like anti-patriarchy stuff but it's the singer especially when you hear her sing she sounds so good uh, and not in just like a, a growly way or whatever like she's aggressive but also like her voice is clearly very controlled and good uh, the second album is my favorite one it's called cool. Make Room you should listen to it everyone at home should listen to it and uh, I think that this might have been one of the first kind of like girl punk concerts that I went to so that's why I I love it but it's just so fun and in this color I'm missing concerts so much I'm listening to these old bands that I love and I just you know I want to go into a room of crowded people <laughs> and dance and not have to worry about uh, possibly dying from that experience except from the violent mosh pits yeah well you're usually pretty safe in there it's this is like a whole thing about the culture is like you don't go alone, you go with your friends, people are nice, they pick you up if you fall, stuff like that. It's kind of like the opposite of what you think that it would be. Um, I'm sure some of your other guests would have thoughts about that as well, actually, uh, since they're metalheads. What's your other unsound choice? <laughs> My second unsound choice is kind of in a different direction, but 
It's the uh, new Haim album, Music and Women in Music, Part Three. Haim, Haim. I, I love that album. That's a great album, and uh, I was listening to it because you were listening to it a lot, and I hadn't really listened to it in a long time. And then I found out that the bassist has diabetes. Oh baby, can't you see? <laughs> One of us has diabetes. And she talks about it a lot, and I was like, that's pretty cool. So I started listening to it, and it's got really like. Alanis Morissette vibe sometimes mixed with like surf rock, which I think is cool, and it's just like catchy and fun, and it's a it's a good summertime uh, depresso album. Forgetting you out of depressos, not deeper into the depressos. If that's what you want, listen to the other album. So uh, yeah, those are my unsound choices. Well, this was lovely. You're an excellent host. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this very special bonus episode of Unsound on Sound, where we get to learn more about your unsound composer, James Hamilton Lowry, or as he's known in the comedy world, James Hamilton. That's true. Goodbye. Bye. it that's the bonus episode we're done it's a bonus episode so i don't even have to do the spiel but i will anyways because i enjoy it we want to thank the ontario region of the canadian music center for supporting on sound on sound as part of their media production residency you can follow the cmc on facebook twitter and instagram or visit cmccanada.org for info as far as we go why don't you go on facebook give our unsound on sound page a like and subscribe on spotify or itunes i don't know when we'll be back i don't know when we'll be back until we are please stay unsound